Hello everybody, this is the fifth and final sermon looking at the women in Jesus's line. Today we're looking at Mary, a story of fulfillment, and we're looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. One of my Baptist heroes is a woman named Marianne Farningham. Marianne lived in Victorian England, a time when there was much debate in the church as to what role women should be taking in wider society. In many ways, Marianne was very traditional. She was an evangelical. She rooted all her beliefs in the Bible. Marianne believed that a woman's primary role was in the home, as a mother caring for her children, bringing them up in the faith, as a wife tending to her husband, praying for him at work, as a sister seeing to the needs of her siblings. But Marianne was also radical. She believed that once those roles were fulfilled, women had a duty to do whatever God put in their path. If God gave them an opportunity for service, they should take it and give their all for his glory. Listen to Marianne in her own words. A woman's work is that which she sees needs doing. It is her duty to put her hand to any occupation that is waiting for workers. If a fire is raging and she have strength to bring a bucket of water and throw over it, is she guilty of an unwomanly action if she obey the impulse of her heart and work diligently by the side of men whose work it is? If she see another woman's bairny in trouble, is she not right to rush into the streets and snatch him from the danger which threatens him? And is she less a woman if seeing these children grown up to manhood, she beholds them exposed to greater dangers than their childhood ever knew and hastens to their rescue with brave and inspiring words? There is work enough for all willing hands and the women of Great Britain can do no unimportant part of it. Only let them be true to themselves and to the higher instincts which God has planted within them. Only let them be faithful to duty and prompt to perform any good task that lies before them, whether it be small or great. Marianne put her beliefs into practice. She never married, and after nursing her dying sister and supporting her widower father, she set out to make a difference. She contributed to a Christian newspaper for 50 years. She wrote 45 books and two collections of hymns. She delivered lectures around the country and served her local Sunday school. Marianne became a household name. When Spurgeon met her, he declared, So this is the famous Marianne Farningham. Marianne was a spiritual giant. But her greatness came from her sense of duty, her willingness to obediently serve God in the ordinary aspects of her everyday life. Marianne's story reminds me of that of her near namesake, Mary. Mary appears in the Bible after 400 years of silence. There are 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New we know from other historical records what happened in those years, but the blunt truth is this. God's people and the land of Israel were so spiritually dead at the time, there was nothing worth recording in scripture. Nothing that is until the time of Mary. Mary was another very ordinary woman that turned out to be a spiritual giant, a woman of duty and obedience that God could use in incredible ways. As the fifth and last woman in the genealogy of Jesus, 
Let us have a look at her story. The first thing to say about Mary is that, like Marianne, she was just an ordinary woman. Luke, in his account, almost bends over backwards to tell us this. The very first thing we discover about her in verse 26 is that she was from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Nazareth was an obscure little town in obscure distant countryside. It's right up in the far north of Israel, a long way from the capital, Jerusalem. Consequently, the people of Nazareth were poor, illiterate, and often ridiculed for their rural accent. There was a well-known saying at the time, nothing good comes from Nazareth. There was zero expectation on the people of the place. The next thing we learn about Mary is that she was a virgin pledged to be married, verse 27. From what we know of the customs of the time, that probably makes Mary about 13 years old. She would have been fully married after a year-long engagement at 14 to 15. So Mary was young, with no education and very little life experience. She would have had no money of her own, no assets, no power. All Mary had to offer was her virginity. Her life would consist of loving Joseph, having his children and bringing them up. And she would have been grateful and satisfied just for this opportunity. Mary then was completely ordinary. She was no prophet or priest, no academic or budding entrepreneur. She was no VIP. And importantly at the time, she was no man. We are left in no doubt that when the angel Gabriel turns up in verse 28 and announces greetings to one who is highly favoured, that this can only mean that God has chosen Mary for no one else would. Mary did not expect or deserve this angelic visitation. Everything that is about to happen is solely a work of God's grace. It is no surprise at all that in verse 29 we read of Mary being greatly troubled as she trembles before Gabriel, and that the first thing Gabriel has to tell her is that she does not need to be afraid. Mary was afraid, very afraid. Ordinary girls in Nazareth just did not see angels or anyone else important for that matter, very often. The second thing to say about ordinary Mary is that she was obedient. And this is where, like Marianne, she stands out as an example for all men and women of faith to be inspired by. The announcement Mary received from Gabriel was simply incredible. She was going to have a son. His name would be Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He would be great. He would be the son of the Most High. He would be ruler on David's throne. His kingdom would last forever. Now, they are stellar titles. We could do a sermon series with a sermon on each one of them. There's so much depth and glory there. But Ordinary Mary initially has far more mundane matters on her mind. Her immediate response to this announcement in verse 34 was, How will this be, since I'm still a virgin? Now, Mary may be young and uneducated, but she was not ignorant. She knows that virgins do not have babies. She also knows the penalty for suspected adultery at the time. It was severe. Ostracism from the community at the very least. Death at the worst. Please understand that ordinary Mary had very ordinary concerns at this point. But of course, in response, 
the angel goes on to explain that the baby will be God's son. The conception will be miraculous. And as a sign of the truth of this, Mary will soon discover that her elderly relative Elizabeth is expecting as well. Life brought from barrenness. Life brought to a virgin womb. It sounds ridiculous, but Gabriel puts it all into context. This is the work of the creator we're talking about, the maker of heaven and earth. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Just what can you say in response to that? Very little, really. But Mary's words highlight so much of her character. She calmly says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, they may be simple words to say, but they demonstrate extraordinary humility, extraordinary trust, extraordinary obedience. Mary has just agreed to carry a child without being married. She knows her ever-increasing waistline will raise the neighbours' questions. She knows the scorn that lies ahead when she gives them the true but unbelievable-sounding answer. This baby is God's baby. An angel met me and told me about it. This is the truth. Honest. No one's going to believe that. Even her beloved Joseph refused to believe that until Gabriel met with him as well. Mary is taking on a huge undertaking here, one that risks everything she knows and loves. In those few words, we see then Mary's heart. She is devout. She loves the Lord and will be his servant come what may. Even if God places her in a difficult position, if he is promising to be with her in it, Mary will do what is required. God's presence and favour are all she needs to know. As I tried to show with my introduction about Marianne Farningham, spiritual greatness is not measured by the value society goes by. It's not about social class, financial clout or having a theology degree. It's not restricted to race, gender or background. Spiritual greatness is about heart. What God looks for is a humble heart that seeks to be obedient to him. Ordinary Mary was utterly extraordinary when measured in those terms. Her obedience enabled God to do amazing things, bringing his son and Messiah into the world to save us, no less. I really do want to stress this point today. God delights in doing great things through ordinary people. All he requires is their obedience. For God forces no one to do anything against their will. He is an invitational God of love, not a tyrant of brute force. But once someone has chosen to be obedient to his call, God is quick to step in. Once one of his people has stepped out in faith, he sends his Holy Spirit to meet their need. I would like us to think about the word Luke uses to describe this. Let's listen to the words of Gabriel in verse 35 as he is explaining what will happen to Mary if she consents. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Overshadow. This is such a rich word. 
It is the same Greek word that is used to describe the cloud of God's glory that came down on the Mount of Transfiguration when the full identity of Jesus was revealed to the disciples. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word that is used to describe the cloud of God's presence that came down on the tabernacle and that formed a pillar guiding the Israelites through the wilderness. In the Psalms, it's the same word that is used to describe God's personal protection of his people. Listen to these two examples. Psalm 91 verse 4. He will cover you, literally overshadow you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Psalm 140 verse 7. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer, you shield my head, literally overshadow my head in the day of battle. What we have here then is a word continuously used in the Bible to mark out the personal presence of God. His glorious, guiding, protective presence. But you don't need to know your Greek to truly get this. Just think of the word in English overshadow. It is a word made up of two others, over and shadow. Now if something is over you, it is above and beyond you. It's really important we grasp this about God. He is above and beyond us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. God is continually above us, working out his plans and purposes. Indeed, God is at the top. Nothing is over him, so nothing can stop God or stand in his way. God is truly sovereign over all events. Even when human beings are up to their most wicked acts, their vilest sin, God has the power to weave things back into shape, to bring good from the situation and get his purposes back on track. God is over us, more powerful than we will ever be. This is humbling news, but very good news. It means we always have hope. Secondly, that word shadow. If something is in shadow, it is shaded, sheltered from the punishing heat and glare of the sun. So too, God uses his power not to harm us, but to shelter and protect us. His presence is healing, comforting, peace-bringing. There really is no greater news than to know that the God who made heaven and earth, the God who loves us so much he's prepared to send his own son into the world to die for us, is right this minute overshadowing us. This is the truth of Mary's experience and I hope it encourages us all today. When ordinary people step out in obedience to serve the Lord, they find themselves overshadowed by God's powerful love. I think this word overshadow is also a helpful one to conclude our current series. Over the last five weeks, we have studied the lives of the five women in the genealogy of Jesus, and we have discovered some great similarities between them. These were five women who lived through times of chaos and uncertainty and often rampant sin. These were five women who were mostly poor, mostly misfits, and previously considered unknown or unimportant. All five of these women experienced life at a time when God seemed not to be present, or at least was silent. 
In their personal struggles, God's promises to them seemed to be faltering. But all five of these women discovered that nothing could be further from the truth. God was truly above them, overshadowing them all. He saw what happened to them, the misery many of them were subjected to, and he cared deeply about that. Indeed, he cared so much, he chose to weave these five women into his plans in a way they would never fully understand in their lifetimes. He helped Tamar when she was so badly treated and gave her hope. He brought Rahab the prostitute into his people, replacing judgment with peace. He transformed lives through Ruth and enabled joy to flood the scene. He brought Bathsheba to know true love after the tainted lust of King David. The Lord overshadowed all these women and brought from them his son. By studying their lives, we have found that God is on the side of the ordinary, the downcast and the humble. The same is true today. That is, after all, why he sent Jesus to rescue us and bring us his blessing. His blessing of hope, peace, joy and love available in every circumstance. These five women show us that no one is beyond the reach of God's love. No one is so worthless that they cannot be used by God for amazing things. We may all feel very ordinary today. But I urge us to see that if we remain obedient to God through all the trials of life, we will find ourselves in that most wonderful position of being overshadowed by him. So let us step out and invite that person to our carol service. Step out and bring someone into your Christmas bubble who would otherwise would have been alone. Step out and challenge the bully in your workplace. Step out and pray for your loved one who does not yet know Christ. Step out and paint the church building. Step out and play in a music group. Step out and say sorry to someone, even though you feel you've done nothing wrong. Put the relationship right. Step out and send a card or message to someone who is really struggling through this pandemic. Let us step out into Isla and tell people who Jesus is by word and action and prepare to see God do great things as he overshadows us this Christmas. <laughs>